Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Happy Tuesday, everyone, and welcome into the Gramlick and McLean podcast. Y'all, it's going up on a Tuesday. Guys, it's 2-22-22. This is amazing. You might not think it's as cool as Mac and I do, but it's really cool. And that's why we are talking two teams today, North Come Carolina on, and Duke, Mac. That's a lot of twos. I mean, I was looking at it when we were scheduling this. I was like, man. The, the universe yep. has aligned. The stars have aligned. Like, you know, something crazy is going to happen today. And what is it? We're talking about two teams. And it's uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. But we're continuing our mini-series today, ACC under review. It's hard to believe, guys. We're almost done. I mean, after today, we have two teams left. So there's a lot of twos, even more. Uh, if you already missed some of our episodes previously, go back, check them out. You can find it anywhere on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It is on there, Gramlick and Mac Lane. But today, we are talking about the North Carolina Tar Heels and the Duke Blue Devils. And who better to help us than our great friend, Lauren Brownlow. Lauren has covered the ACC, specifically the Triangle, since 2005. She's just one of my favorites, y'all. And she is now a <laughs> contributor for 99.9 The Fan and WRALsportsfan.com. Listen, Lauren graduated from UNC, but admittedly so, her favorite sports venue in the entire world is Cameron Indoor. Safe to say she is the perfect fit for this episode. She loves both universities. She covers both universities. This episode. It was a ton of fun. KG, I enjoyed it. Let's jump straight into it. Lauren, welcome into the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a true expert, guys, here on the Triangle covering North Carolina, Duke, NC State. I'm sure there's some Wake Forest in there as well, uh, but we today are specifically covering UNC and Duke. Lauren, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. This is an honor for me. I'm thrilled to be on. Hey, come on. Only the best of the best here on Gramlick and Mac Lane. Th this episode is going to be a little bit different than anything we've ever done just because we're going to cover two teams, as I mentioned. And I want to start with the Tar Heels because I know, you know, th there was a lot of expectations from them. And I don't know if you had those as well, but I had them playing in Charlotte, maybe for a CFP bid. And then we go six and seven and we get brutally beaten in Charlotte, which is not where I thought, you know, that Charlotte we would be in the Duke's Mayo. What happened this year? Yeah, that's I, I think I'm still kind of asking myself that, too. I think my expectations were a little more cautious with North Carolina for a lot of reasons, one of them being just their overall program history. You know, it just it has always seemed like whenever they're on the threshold of breaking through, something happens and it doesn't happen. And so I, that was that's that doesn't mean anything for this past season, right? Like I understand that intellectually, but it's still there. It still just hangs over, you know, the program. And I think even a lot of their longtime fans understand that and and have felt that kind of feeling too of like, oh no, it's going to go horribly wrong. But I think even the way I saw it unfolding, I did not see it going that badly. Like I honestly didn't. I thought the the floor for them was like eight wins, maybe seven if things went real bad. And I just. You know, you look back at it and you're just like, how did all of this happen? You know, how did they get housed at Georgia Tech? Like, how 
I still don't understand it. You know, it's just, I, I know that there were a lot of issues that kind of came up throughout the year. It took the offense some time to get going. There really wasn't a reliable wide receiver outside of Josh Downs. They had some other guys get hurt. But the offensive line remains the biggest mystery to me with them, honestly. I just don't understand. You know what's crazy <laughs> about that is, yeah. okay, at the beginning of the season, like people were rattling off reasons why they were going to be good. And yeah. you know, my biggest thing was just Sam Howell. I thought the defense was going to be marginally better. Um, and then thought guys were going to step up. Just things that I had seen You know, when they got their chance. Um, Chandler's coming in. I'm like, okay, you know, production's going to be yes. a little bit of a question mark. But everyone that I saw kept saying, all five offensive linemen are back. And I'm like, guys, I don't know if you watched the previous two years. That's not a good it's not thing. Always like, good. It, it's yeah. not great. And, and so, Lauren, I'm right there with you. That The fact that those guys could not get it going, that Sam was sacked. I don't have the number in front of me, but it was like 50 times almost uh, in one thing. season. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, what the heck just happened? Yeah, and I mean, for me, that was the... Obviously, I didn't necessarily know how much better that line would get, right? For the reasons that you were saying. I mean, it's the five. It's the same five. So it's not always a good thing if they weren't very good the year before. But A, guys generally tend to get better, even if they don't become amazing. And B, I didn't think it'd get worse. Maybe that speaks to Javante Williams and Michael Carter and how special they were, too. But, you know, Ty Chandler, I thought, settled in there nicely. And I actually thought, all things considered... You know, Longo did a good job with that offense considering how bad it looked early on. He really got them to kind of settle in and be consistent game in and game out. So between the offensive line, though, which was always a problem no matter what, and then the defense kind of taking a step back, you just – I think I thought the worst-case scenario is they'd be as good as they were the year before, the O-line and the defense. And I don't – you could argue that did not happen. And certainly for the O-line it didn't happen, and the defense at best – stayed right where they were at. So th those are, I did not think both of those things would happen. They did. And I think that's a big part of the reason North Carolina finds itself where it goes. I agree, Lauren. And, and it's so true. And we talked with Mac Brown on the pod like August. And you could tell that he, and I know you guys knew this, he was a little worried about the expectations. The expectations were just too high. And you don't want to be someone that's saying in the media, look, guys, we're not, we're not good. Like you, you don't really want to do that. But you have to have those expectations and your players have to deal with them. So I think that was part of it, too. I want to talk about Sam and his legacy at North Carolina, okay? What, what did he show you in his last season? First of all, I think the toughness and just, like, taking hits out of nowhere. But where does he stand in terms of his legacy at North Carolina? It's weird, right, because there's not anything specific you can point to with Sam and say, this is what he did. His team's accomplished X. Um, what I know about, that. Lauren, what about a as... preseason ACC Player of the Year? <laughs> Let's see, that was oh, uncalled for. Boy, I apologize. It's okay. I get it. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, he did get that. Um, I. It's weird. I understand those arguments with him, and they're fair. But I, I mean, just for the life of me, and I've been watching and or covering Carolina football a long time. I don't know that I've ever seen a better player at that position for them. So both things are true, right? I, you could maybe argue Marquise Williams was like the most impactful quarterback they've ever had. And you look at what his accomplishments were and the, the great leader that he was for them. He was a really special player for North Carolina football. But Sam's better. Like, we all look at Sam and see that. And so 
and and you you know you touched on it too the competitiveness you know he just he he basically made himself into a dual threat quarterback this year because he knew that he had to it's wild to me and and he was an NFL draft prospect and risked his body just to help his team win i mean i think a lot of who sam howell was as a competitor for north carolina is going to be i think it's going to take it some time to be appreciated the way it should be um if it's ever appreciated at all the way it should be, honestly. And I know that's because of their wins and losses. I get it, but it's a shame. Yeah, and, and it's so just fascinating. And we're all guilty of it, but we we so much accredit wins and losses as a quarterback stat and championships as a quarterback stat. This guy threw for over 300,000 or 300,000, 300, that'd be remarkable. <laughs> 3,000 yards every year of his career. As you just said, he he changed his body. He changed who he was, was a thousand yard rusher. If you take out a billion sacks this past season, I mean, he did not do that. He had like 96 yards was his total for a year. So it, it, it was remarkable to see. I think you're absolutely right. Best quarterback ever to play for UNC. It just stinks that there isn't these other accolades. There aren't these other championships to go along with that. And I think that that's why, unfortunately, people are going to say, well, you know, it was okay. But in quite honest, it's it's unbelievable. And what he did in recruiting too, Kelly, I mean, the things that he has allowed UNC to go get because people say, I want to play with that guy, I want to play for that guy, just helps well, so and, much. And KG. history won't remember, and maybe Lauren can make sure the UNC fans remember this, history won't remember that the year in which UNC most likely would have won the Coastal, Notre Dame was in the league. Exactly. So exactly. It's, yeah. it's very possible that they would have at least won a division. That was a weird pandemic right. year with Notre Dame. So uh, maybe Lauren right. can carry that torch for the UNC fans. <laughs> I mean, listen, if they between UNC and state fans around here, if they if they had a dollar for every woulda shoulda, <laughs> you know, and I don't mean that insultingly. Like it's just oh, yeah. true. Like just uh, true. They can all point to a million different. Like UNC fans will still talk about like '96 Chris Kelt, you know, at Virginia game. Like that was a while ago. You know, state fans will still talk about the fact that they had like the best defense in the league the year after Philip Rivers left. You know, they still remember things like that. It was the woulda, shoulda, couldas, man, of, of this area in football. And what I think this past year with North Carolina showed is that even with some of the woulda, shouldas, you know, doesn't always go your way, even when That's it right. seems like it's going to. That's right. And just so close. You know, you're, you're always a, a player away, a play away, a game away. And uh, we, we, we tend to see that happen more than not. Uh, another bright spot of this North Carolina team, and maybe the, the last one, uh, was Josh Downs, and, and really just a guy that, man, it, it's like every single team they played, every defense they played knew, okay, that's the guy, that's the only guy, and they still couldn't stop him. I mean, he, he had a tremendous year, 100-plus receptions, 1,300 uh, yards and, and eight touchdowns. Who has to step up for Josh? Like, I, I think that he could do that again. I hope he can do it again, but someone else, right? Like, there's going to be so much attention on Josh – who do you expect to step up, and are, are they even on the roster now? Do they have to go to the transfer portal? Do they have to go get somebody? What are your thoughts they on might, that? They might have to go get somebody because I was going to say, I don't even know if I if I am 100% sure of who all is coming back. And like that <laughs> what a weird, isn't that a weird oh. – like the fact that we have to deal with that is nuts. It's crazy. I know. I know Choffrey Brown's not coming back, and I think a lot of people thought he'd be that guy. Right. Um, I was one of those people. I thought the way he played towards the end of last year – um, they were really excited about him and his potential, but for a lot of reasons, I think he just wasn't able to get out there very much this past year. I know they love Justin Olsen too, assuming he didn't transfer and I missed it. 
They love Justin Olsen. They were talking about Justin Olsen like, gosh, even in the summer and, and going into the season, I remember his name being mentioned a lot. And then I remember being like, where is he? At the beginning of the season, like we're not seeing him play. And then, you know, towards the end of the year, I think we saw more from him um, and he showed some growth there. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know that that guy is on the roster necessarily. Those are the only people that I mean, Emory Simmons, I think, is out of eligibility at this point. So, like, there's not a whole lot else. Um, But that offense always seems to find a way, you know, I mean, the fact that like they essentially only had Josh Downs for quite some time doing much of anything and and they still were able to kind of put up numbers until everybody kind of settled in. I, I trust them to figure it out offensively. Because that's what they've always done. Now, can they do it without Sam? I think we, we don't know. But at the same time, they've always figured out a way to put up numbers. Well, sure. and there's a balance to this, right? If, if you're going to put up 30 and you're only giving up 30, then you've got a chance. So let's talk about Gene Chizik. Who's back, baby? He's back. That was such an interesting hire. I know, yeah. he, you know he's been at UNC before with Larry Fedora. He and Mac Brown go all the way back to the Texas days. What did you make of that hire, Lauren? Will this defense be better? I mean, I think in a lot of ways, North Carolina's like coaches right now, when you look at Mac and then you look at Gene Chizik, it was sort of like a, all right, who was here last time? This was working really well. Let's go back Honestly, why isn't Larry Fedora an offensive analyst or something? Oh, my God. (laughs) At least early Larry Fedora. (laughs) Right. I know. Although that's the thing, right? It's sort of the trade-off for playing – um, I mean, everybody plays up-tempo offense now. It's not its not a novelty necessarily, but that was the thing back in the day. That was always the criticism of Larry Fedora's offenses was like, okay, cool. It's great that y'all score all these points and have the ball for 30 seconds, but you have the ball for 30 seconds. Your defense isn't going to be able to last through this. And so I think there have been elements of that in the past couple years with North Carolina as well defensively, just in, in terms of they didn't always have the ball that long on offense and the defense was getting thrown right back out there. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's part of it. Is Mac going back to somebody he feels comfortable with? I don't know that I I don't necessarily feel Jay Bayman is a bad defensive coordinator or a bad coach. I just don't know if it was a fit for some of the reasons I talked about. You know, I mean, he was coming from Army. That's a place where their offense has the ball like 30-something, <laughs> 40 minutes a game, you know? I mean, I think I think it just it didn't always fit necessarily with, with Jay's strengths. And um Gene Chizik understands what Mac wants and how he wants it done and everything else. And so it makes sense. Do I know that it's going to be like a one-year fix? I don't see that. But, you know, uh, this was the last time North Carolina had a good defense. Gene Chizik was in charge of it. So I understand why they wanted to go back to that well, for sure. Let's make it happen. Championship pedigree. I mean, everyone knows, you know, what Gene Chizik brings to a program. So let's see. It'll be really fun. Um, Kelly Kelly cares about defense. I don't. Uh, so let's go back to the offensive <laughs> side of the ball. I want to talk QBs because you mentioned Sam. Sam's gone. We we talked to him at the Senior Bowl. He's moving on. Uh, who who do you think is going to be the heir apparent? Because interestingly enough, and I know it's Sam's boys, and he's not going to pick and choose anybody, but he thinks it's a toss up going into spring, and he thinks that both guys have a good shot. Let me let me hear kind of your opinion on that. Honestly, I mean, yeah, you're right. Sam is going to give you QB speak slash coach speak, whatever. That's that's just Sam. But at the same time, I don't think he's far off here based on everything we've heard, right? And that's like partly what we're getting. But they've acted like that almost for the last year or so, calendar year, where, you know, 
and and in fact, Mac would would allude to it like, I really want one of these guys to emerge and beat the other one out. You know, like he he wanted them to kind of separate themselves from each other, and he didn't feel like it necessarily happened. And I know he thought of it as a bad thing, but maybe at this point, it's not the worst. Um, but he's going to want that to happen. And yeah, that's what I've heard too. Is that they are pretty neck and neck. I mean, I think if I, I don't know which way I would lean. I know Criswell is more experienced. Drake May is the big name. You know, he has the Carolina connection, obviously, right. with Luke May. Well, let, let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this. So here, here's been my kind of theory, and maybe I'm like that that crazy guy, like drawing all the dots together. And <laughs> I think it's totally been so one guy doesn't transfer. I think it has 100% oh. been we're going to draw this out as long as we can and then make a decision, which even now, you know, you can leave whenever you want. I mean, we've seen guys leave after the first game. Yeah. We've seen them leave in the middle of the season. But I, I really have thought that it's to get us to this moment, that it's to get us to this season where they make it. I think even out of spring, I don't even care if somebody's a little bit of farther ahead. I think they're still going to say it's a tie. It's going to yeah. have to go to camp. We're going to have to figure this out. Tell, tell me what you think. Of that. That's my crazy theory. It makes some sense, I think. You know, I, I, I do. It, it makes sense to me that they would do that because I know Mac remembers what it was like to essentially be living on the edge with Sam and uh, like, I think they were down to literally one backup quarterback or maybe none at a certain point. Cam's fre- or Sam's freshman or sophomore year, I'm not sure which, but yeah, they, they, they had no backups basically. And so I don't think he wants to be in that position again. And, you know, maybe there's an element there too of just not wanting to make the wrong choice and feeling like they, if the coaching staff feel, feels like they're not sure either, they don't want to choose wrong and go with somebody too early and then the other guy transfers and then, you know, maybe you feel like you did the wrong thing. So I'm sure that there's some of that playing playing into this too. Um, but yeah, that <laughs> it makes sense. But yeah, that would be, uh, I can, yeah, like you said, they can leave whenever they want to though. So as soon as they name a starter and it becomes clear the other one's not playing, yeah. Or they'll do a two-quarterback system because those always work. Oh, great. Yeah. those are my favorite, Lauren. Those are my <laughs> those absolute favorite. Those always work favorite. so good. Well, let's talk about expectations here. And I think it plays into this QB discussion because you start with three non-Power Fives. Now, you do have at App State in there, but FAMU, App, and Georgia State, you could totally do a two-quarterback situation. Mac, people do call it FAMU. Don't laugh. FAMU. No, I call it FAMU. Oh, Florida man. We'll A&M University, the Rattlers. That's who you're starting with, week zero. But you could do <laughs> you could do kind of a two-quarterback system in those first couple weeks to keep everyone happy. Mm-hmm. So, Lauren, let's yes. say the Tar Heels start 3-0, all right? After that, what, what can UNC do with this schedule? You got Notre Dame on there. You know you got Notre Dame. Yeah. But beyond that, what do you think? <sighs> Man. It, <laughs> you got lower expectations. Lower expectations. That's good, right? And that's, that is good for them. Yeah, they, they do thrive in that. That's the thing. I don't, I don't know that I would expect them to even start 3-0 because of the app situation. Oh. Honestly, yeah. I mean, that's they, a tough game. App that's a good. tough game at App, and that's why at is app. UNC doing mm-hmm. that? I, Lord knows, <laughs> I don't know either. And they're at Georgia yes. State, evidently. Why? Which okay, I don't know. I feel like there have been teams playing at Georgia State recently that I'm like, why are you going there? Yeah, I mean, this is it's a tougher schedule. I mean, I don't see a game on there that you look at and you're like, yeah, I, I definitely like UNC to win that one. Honestly, like at this point, beyond those first three. I don't know that I look at this schedule and go, yes. Like, I don't see it. Maybe, what, Virginia Tech? Well, maybe? I would say Georgia Tech, but we know what <laughs> happened last year. So, 
Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the closest, though. Yeah. George, Virginia Tech, maybe Georgia Tech. That's about it. Duke. But that's at Duke. And I don't know what they're going to be looking like. Probably. We'll talk right? about that in a moment. <laughs> so, you know, that's 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 like not very many wins. You're talking about you're sweating out making a bowl, I think, if you're North Carolina. But at, this year, at least, it's for reasons that make more sense. Right. Like, right. I think we could all look at the schedule and go, "Ooh, a bowl's going to be tough for this team. Uh, and whereas last year we were assuming a bowl and that wasn't even a given towards the end of the year, which was wild. Yeah. It it is fascinating to see how much a singular position like quarterback just means for a team and and confidence level. We don't even know who's going to be walking out there to, to play the position. So I think that that is really why there, there are a lot of question marks and and it's going to be fascinating to see what North Carolina eventually looks like. Let's change gears a little bit here because I want to talk about Duke and when we look at the 21 season, a nice start, a promising start, 3-1, and one, beat Northwestern, beat Kansas, which you have to beat Kansas always. But then we go 0-8 in ACC play after going, I think, like 1-9 and nine a year ago. I mean, what, what did you make of Duke in 21? The start was confusing for me because, you know, I think their first game, actually, they lost to yes, Charlotte. Yes, they did. They were competitive, Someone may have they taken lost Duke to covering that game. <laughs> well, whoops. Yeah, I mean, I and I thought the same thing. I was like, okay, this is going to be a really bad team. They're going to struggle. And then they go out there their next three games and take care of business, three or four games or whatever. Well, yeah, it was three games after that. They took care of business. And so I'm like, all right, they're getting it figured out. Gunnar Holmberg, I've always liked Gunnar. I think he's a good quarterback. He, you know, he's going to get it. He's getting it together. Like, they're putting up points. The defense is not great. But, you know, they can outscore some teams. And then, yeah, it just all fell apart. And I feel like when it fell apart, it did not take long for for it to seem as if the team was kind of done, um, even before maybe David Cutcliffe was. Um, I think he was still fighting, but there were – I didn't get the sense after a little while that his entire team was still fighting with him. You know what I mean? And I think that's what made it clear that things were getting a little stale and, and – Obviously, I think a lot of us assume there's no way they'd ever fire David Cutcliffe, what he's done there and everything else. And I I think it just got to the point where it was clear that it wasn't working. anymore. And I hated I loved him. I loved having him around. He was so much fun. We all loved him around here in the media. Great. But it just whatever it was, it wasn't working anymore. And it didn't seem like the guys were responding to him in the way that they used to, and I, I don't necessarily know why, but it, it, it was a mix of talent, and then just you kind of saw them give in a little bit towards the middle of the season, I think, and I don't think that some of the games they should have gotten beaten as badly as they did, but they just, it, everything just kind of snowballed when things started to go badly. For well, them. and sometimes a, a tenure, a coach's tenure kind of runs its course. I think that's what happened yes. with David Cutcliffe, and now he can go be a random offensive analyst at Texas so they can land Arch Manning, which... Probably is his final destiny. Um, Okay, let's talk about the new head coach at Duke. Mike Elko comes from Texas A&M, was uh, coaching under Dave Clawson at Wake for many, many years. There were a few other guys in the mix for this job. We heard Tony Elliott a little bit. We heard Jason Garrett, which was so odd. (laughs) Didn't know what that was. What 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 are your initial thoughts on the Mike Elko hire? I think it makes a lot of sense for them. a defensive guy, um, obviously that's been an area that they've struggled in the last couple years for sure. 
offense hadn't been as big an issue and defense has, has, has been an issue. So it's, it's, and he knows what he's doing. He's obviously a very good coach. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think he's going to be interesting. He's brought a lot of energy. Um, I've been intrigued too, with the way he's talked about, you know, the past and things like that. And even from his introductory press conference, he just wasn't, he was very forward looking. Let's just put it that way. You know, David Cutcliffe is a guy that has a lot of close friendships with, with other coaches in this business seemingly, and they all think very highly of him. And I, I remember being a little surprised, honestly, at how little he was talking I was too. about him. I was too. <laughs> but I think he's really, I, I, I get the impression he's just really trying to look forward. And, and I get that to a certain extent. He's, he is convinced that they can do bigger and better things with Duke football. And I, in a sense, you kind of understand it, but being around here, you also understand there's a lot of obstacles at play when it comes to making Duke football successful. And um, can he overcome those? Probably some, you know, somewhat, but it's it's going to be an uphill climb for him for sure. What what equals a successful year or successful first two years in, in just your mind, Lauren? If you look at it and we, we sit in, I guess it'd be 2024, which is crazy to think about. Um, and we, we do this podcast again and we say, man, that, that was a great first two years for Mike Elko. I mean, what is, is that two ACC wins a year? I mean, it, cause that's improvement. I mean, what, what does that look yeah. like in your mind? I think that seeing them become increasingly more competitive, regardless of whether they're winning or losing would be something that I'd like to see from them and to see them be a little more consistent. I think the Duke of the last couple of years, would and and most teams are like this to be fair to Duke, but they would have they would play like garbage against a team that they should have beaten, and then they'd come out against a team that was much better than them on paper, and suddenly you know keep it close, keep it competitive. And you're like, well, where was that last week against this terrible team that you could have beaten? So I, I think I think Duke fans too just want to see some competitiveness and and see them develop a little bit of an identity too, because it'll be interesting to see what that is and something Duke fans can kind of rally behind. I, I think they just want to see their teams be more competitive. That, that's that been hard for them to watch the last couple of years is just them getting blown out in some of these games. Frankly, that's 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 like old days Duke football that they don't feel like is acceptable anymore. And so to see Duke get increasingly more competitive, and to, I, I'm really curious also to see, and I know I'm not giving you a number of wins, but I also don't know that it's that simple with Duke. You know, I think they need to see progress. I think they need to see... You know, David Cutcliffe talked about November a lot, and I think Mike Elko will as well. Can you build enough depth there that, like, by your second November, you're either competitive or winning some of these November games? That's That was the biggest hurdle that David Cutcliffe had to clear at Duke initially, was getting enough depth and quality depth that they could do things like that. And so that, I think, would be something I'd like to see from them and to just get some consistency, get some competitiveness. And if he does that the first couple of years, I think they'll be, and obviously recruiting's worth watching too. You would think he gives them some pop in that area. Um, and if he doesn't, you know, that might be worth keeping an eye on too. Yeah. And you know, what's going to be really interesting to track about recruiting is that like in this transfer portal world, this free agency world where there's already not enough spots for people to go you know, we, we have heard Power 5 coaches say that we are going to take a smaller class because we are banking on getting some guys from the transfer portal. What will be interesting is if teams like Duke, lower P5 teams, can take advantage of that and go get those guys that a Clemson, a George, Alabama might have offered towards the end, but now they're not going to. It's going to be really fascinating to see can teams take advantage of this high school talent that there's almost not enough places to go. 
Yeah, Mac Brown's talked about that this past year too, of like that this is this is kind of hurting the incoming classes because there's not as many yeah, like you said, there's not as many places for them to go. They, they you have to get somewhat creative if you're recruiting for Duke football. That's that's just a fact. You've got to think a little more outside the box than some of the other schools because you gotta get guys in there that can do the academic work too. And that's exactly. not yep. that's I mean, I couldn't do the academic work at Duke and I you know, so no knock on them. Like I'm and not even saying like people are dumb. It's just Terrible school, North Carolina, Lauren. Don't be so humble. <laughs> I mean, I, okay, to be fair, I could do some work at Duke probably. But, I mean, I'm not passing like a Duke math class probably. I didn't. Who oof, is? No, no, thank you. Who is? No. Mm-mm. All right, let's talk about uh, just overall predictions. This is our last one for you, Lauren. And I know it is 2 on a Tuesday. On a Tuesday. So... <laughs> It is, you know, way early. That's just a cool date. You know, we're very excited about that. But it is way early for this. But if you had to predict, Coastal Champ, Atlantic Champ, ACC Champ, Hmm. what are we feeling right now? And we're going to hold this against you all (laughs) season long. So (laughs) You can change it. You know what? I can't trust Miami. I just cannot. I can't. Oh, thank you. Because so many people are just saying, oh, it's Miami. I'm like... It's and all I get, about the you. History book. It's all about the you. It's all about. <laughs> I get about- why, right? I get why. You look at the rest of the coastal, and you're like, "Well, who else?" So I understand. I understand the reason. That's kind of honestly, I have distrusted Pitt enough at this point that I feel like I should make amends. <laughs> Sorry, Pat Narduzzi, for not trusting you because you can be a little squirrely late in games, and you make me nervous. But it's fine. It's fine. I, you know what? You've earned that from me. I'm just, I can't pick my, I can't. I totally I get cannot. it. cannot. Like, I, I don't, they, every time I pick them and get all in their boat, whether it's during a season or before the season, they just make me look stupid, and I'm tired of sinks. it. The boat sinks. The boat sinks. burn me too much. I just. All right, so that's the hard part. How about the easy part? <laughs> the easy well, part. Well, it should wow. be easy, but oh, who knows? is it? Is it the easy part? I don't part? know that oh. it's so easy. Oh. I don't. To me, it's it's hard for me to pick between Clemson and State. I obviously there's a ton working in State's favor. Yeah, we all understand that. Um, but and this isn't just about State. This isn't just about the whole find the banana peel aspect of triangle football that we're all so used to around here. This isn't just that. It's also about Clemson. I think that they're in a really interesting position. I think they got sneakily a lot better towards the end of last year. That was not that offense was not the same offense we saw a month before even the end of the season. It was much better. <laughs> it was much better offensively. Like they, they got better. And I really thought sneakily low key Davo did one of his better coaching jobs. Like, especially towards the end of the year. Like he really showed why he's the real deal because he rallied them. They didn't it was gonna be really hard for them to get it together and they got it together. And I think that's a testament to Dabo and and to these guys kind of believing in him and in and in, in the process and everything else. And he can legit play the underdog thing this year. Oh, like he no. doesn't have to pretend. He's so excited. You know what he's I mean? He's so excited. <laughs> and look, this is this is what Dave Doran asked for too. So I'm sure I know he's excited. He said, We want some love, we want attention. I don't think he's gonna run from it either. But I also think that there's an aspect of state and, and of Doran too, of like, hey, disrespect us. We love that. Everybody loves that, right? Then you can rally around that and say, we'll prove all them wrong. So they are going to be in the different position of being the one that is respected and that 
is potentially favored. I think Dave will love it if the media comes out and picks Clemson to win the Atlantic. Oh, yeah. I think he'll be thrilled. And it could either, happen. I mean, either coach, either coach. It's a win-win for whoever. Yeah. Whoever. Well, and it's so early, Lauren. Lauren. Exactly. I do think like we need right. to hear. Yeah. To your point, Mac, about UNC, we're probably going to hear. Well, it's still neck and neck with DJ and Kate Klubnik, so we might not know much out of spring, but we might right. know a little more yeah. by July. Right, and, and Lauren, I, I actually found this a little interesting. No Wake Forest thought at yeah, all, huh? The Just Clemson and and, and no repeat, Atlantic, no repeat for the Atlantic. No, and that's not. It's it's no disrespect to Wake. I just, I just. I think that State will be a year better. I think Clemson will be better. So this is not me. Like, I would put Wake 3 probably right there with, like, a Boston College, who I love. I go really hard for Jeff Halfley and and Phil Dracovic. Those are two of my favorites. I love that he's coming back. But right now, I would put Wake a tick ahead of them. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I'd have it ordered. It's no disrespect to the Deeks, I think, really highly of Dave Clawson. I just think those two teams being just a hair better – and and maybe Wake falling off a little bit will will all kind of okay. So who's your Atlantic champ? You. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, since man. you said all that, yeah, who's gonna win? <laughs> just say it. Just say it. Just say the red team. I know you want to. I don't though. <laughs> oh, I don't. I, oh my god, half my friends will be like thrilled, and half will yep. want to kill me. For either way, I answer. That's what's wild. Doesn't matter if I say they will or won't. I kind of. <sighs> kind of leading Clemson there I you really go am. like I, I won't lie I'm not even just saying this to try to give Dave Doran what he wants see how Although easy if that you're was? listening Dave thank you you're welcome for the for the disrespect Dave is hearing this it's not easy though he's I do like state <laughs> I love state this year I think they're gonna be really good I think they could absolutely do it I just I man having Dabo being able to play underdog I hate I, I hate that for everyone else and that, in the Atlantic one yeah. thing to keep in mind I haven't made up my mind yet I've, I've been giving state a lot of love but the state Clemson game <laughs> is in Clemson so that's something to keep in mind this year yep I I thought about that too as well and I just I don't know and there's bad blood between those two already like I just I don't know state it's, can't make it's, field it's goals gonna... in Death Valley you know that so <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Kelly. Oof. We got to get out of here now before I say something crazy. on this podcast so my state people will. Oh, it's too soon. Oh, gosh. I love it. Lauren, this was a ton of fun. I, we have to do it again when the season gets closer. Really yeah, appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us this morning. Anytime, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks again to Lauren Brownlow for joining us. We love her coverage in the Triangle. And I just love chatting with her because she obviously knows her stuff. I mean, that's very apparent. But she also has fun with it, which is what you and I love to do. So it was a great time chatting with Lauren. And I thought it was interesting, the discussion we got into, Mac, about the future of the quarterback situation in North Carolina, how you think Mac Brown is going to play his cards close to the vest. I agree with you. And it's going to be very interesting to see who ends up winning that competition. Yeah, and I think it totally is. It's mind games, and not even mind games for just the media. I think it's mind games for his own team. I mean, we know this guy is an excellent recruiter. Now we're seeing teams are having to recruit their own guys on their own team so people don't leave. So I 100% think that you know we're just not going to know, to be quite mm-hmm. honest. We are not going to know until game one, um, unless it's just drastic. I mean, if if... 
Criswell or May, whoever, if they just like jump far, far in ahead, then maybe it's just, okay, it's just evident. We can see with our own eyes who the better quarterback is. But if it's close or if it's marginal, I think that he keeps it all the way locked up. Based on what I've seen, they're just there is such a small sample size for Drake May, which is baffling to me. How he didn't leave because of such a small sample size, I don't know. But then I look at you know Criswell's as well. I mean, he only threw twenty one passes. Drake threw ten. He threw twenty one. They just didn't take Sam out. Not that they were you know killing people and they had that opportunity. But even when they were, Sam played. I mean, they were totally trying to get that guy's stats, get him all the juice, and give him you know the best film that they could. So. It's going to be fascinating. Again, maybe it's just the recruiting hype. Maybe it's just the excitement. I don't know. I like Drake better, but we'll see. I mean, that's why we have winter workouts, why we have spring ball, why we have fall camp. And it's going to be a different locker room because Sam ain't there. Mm -hmm. There's not that guaranteed leader. So it's going to be fascinating to see, KG. It is. It definitely is. And I like your point of kind of keeping it close to the vest because you got to prevent the portal. I think we'll see it at Clemson too. I'd be very surprised if we don't, I think Clemson will name a starter like right before the Georgia Tech game. You you ha- right. you have to wait. And UNC with that start, you feel like they can play both against FAMU. I I just like to say it like it rhymes with Shamu, okay? Can y'all can y'all help us out? Whoever's listening, is it FAMU or is it FAMU? I think like, you please. can say both. No, there's a right and wrong way. Okay, I've decided you can say both. <laughs> but you can play both against the Rattlers. And right. then it is odd though, Mac. Like, why are you going on the road to app? Why are you going on the road to Georgia State? Who the heck scheduled that? I don't know. Maybe Larry Fedora scheduled it and Max just having to deal with it. But <laughs> that just seems crazy to me. And then, look, Lauren made a great point. You look at the rest of that schedule, the fact that this team lost to Georgia Tech last year, the only game that perhaps you say it's definitely a win is Duke, maybe. But they're going to have right. to find some wins. And I think in the end, Mac Brown is happy that the expectations are lower. But the talent drain of just not having Sam Howell is huge. Right. And I think, you know, what is so interesting when I originally look at this schedule and first glance, okay, the first thing that I always look at is who are the, the out of conference opponents. And so when you look at that, you're like, okay, you know, you feel pretty good about it. And then it's your normal slate of coastal and the Atlantic crossover. That well, you plus have. Notre Dame. Right. Which that's the, that's the deal. I don't think they're going to be great. Jordan Cornette, if you're listening, you always <laughs> think that they're playoff bound. I don't, we think would preview year. you Notre Dame, but you don't want to join. <laughs> I, I tried to send him a contract. I got to do not ever contact us again. So I, I don't know what's what's up with that. Uh, but I, I think it's manageable. But then I think about that quarterback position, and there's just there's so many unknowns. And so it's super hard to predict these guys. Of course, we will when we get closer to August. But it's going to be interesting. And then you look at the Duke Blue Devils, who, my goodness, lost so much leadership, whether that's you know six, seventh years guys transferring out, somehow finding another home. Mike Elko is is coming in. He's going to have his way of doing things, a defensive guy. So kind of a new thought process in Durham, you know, from being such an offensive staff, that's the way of life, to now totally defensive. And, and we know how great of a coach he is. We've seen the success, was with Dave Clawson for 12-plus seasons. Um, it, it's going to be fascinating to see, and, you know, just how quickly can Duke get back. And what does Duke getting back really mean? I asked Lauren – and she is is gun ho about the you know competitiveness and, and yeah. just looking like a better football team. I think that's the most fair way to do it. I don't think we can sit here and say, yep, six plus wins a year and that or, or six plus wins a season, and then you feel good. I, I don't know if it's that simple with Duke. I agree. I think the the ultimate goal is to become consistently bowl eligible, which is what Cut Cutcliffe had them at for a good portion of his time there. So that's the goal. I also think. 
using the portal specifically to get a quarterback that has gone to a, uh, you know, a bigger institution and hasn't been able to play, but was maybe a four star really what they did with Chase Bryce, but it didn't work out for whatever reason. I think that's the way Duke needs to go from the quarterback position specifically. Get a guy who has gone to, you know, whatever school and has not been able to play and is not happy. That that's what I think Duke needs to do, and that's what I think. Talking about J T. Daniels, are you saying J T. Daniels? Oh my gosh! See, there's so many options because quarterbacks (laughs) transfer now every two seconds. You know, we say like every one second someone is born in the world. That's right. Well, every five seconds a quarterback transfers. So. There's, there are going to be some guys out there, and that's what I think Duke needs to do, Mac. That's my personal opinion. Guys, I just have to give you a little behind the scenes. There have been three instances where Kelly or Lauren have said something where I just had to back away from the mic because I can't <laughs> stop laughing. That was the third one right there. Um, needless to say, this has been a really fun episode. Guys, thank you for listening. We only have one more left of ACC Under Review. That'll come out this Thursday. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes, go to Spotify, follow our podcast, Drop us a little five-star rating and write us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see y'all.